I have loved storytelling for as long as I can remember. There's just something about hearing of one's life that can really encourage, inspire, and resonate with one. We all have a story, and this is a platform to share them. Welcome to With Priscilla, where I have authentic and candid conversations with friends, hearing their story, the good, the bad, and the glory. So join me. Hi, Andy. Hi. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. so happy you're here. Um, Everybody, this is Andy Cruz. He's a father. Yep. You're from San Diego, right? I am from San Diego, born and raised uh, originally from Bonita. Get a high five. There you go. Both of us. There's very few of us. Yes. Majority. I would say California is what? What's the percentage of transplants? Do oh you gosh, think? I, I don't know. Over fifty. Well, it might it might be. I think I think selectively, a lot of that has to do with military, right? Yeah. Where we have bases. I think that's part of it. I think a lot of another Hollywood part of it is just drawing influence. people to California because of Hollywood or Living. just even internationally the allure of Los Angeles and yeah. San Francisco and San Diego. Um, I don't know if it's fifty. That's an interesting question. I kind of feel it's really high because a lot of people that I meet lately, they're not from here. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. where are you from? Asking me and Jimmy, we're from here. You're from You're here? From- <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. I like don't we want- don't ever meet anyone from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm from Ohio, Michigan, yeah. Yeah. wherever. Yep. But yeah, so we're the lone few. It's probably higher than in most other states. Because I mean, a lot of states, like, you know, I do have friends that are that come from other states, whether it's Texas or Tennessee yeah. or Florida. And like a lot of those states has a saturation of people who are born, raised and stay there versus this kind of transplant um, demographic you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Huge transplant mm-hmm. state. With that said, you want to just start telling me, let's just dive right in. Sure. I want to hear about your life. So. And to go a little bit backwards, going back to our storytellers, Mm -hmm. SB, um, Memo, Guillermo, introduced you to Jimmy and I. For anybody who remembers, we had an online shop. We were known as the blessed people Mm -hmm. because that was what got us a little famous. Um, But you guys came in, you and your company came in and helped us produce some amazing hats. But you are also known as being what one of the first or the first for Canelo, his merch. Yeah, so there, yeah, so there's a, there's you a story there. For that too. That's kind of how that's kind of how like real quick reputation got built. Um, so when we yeah when we first were first met, it was with the Blessed brand, and you were doing mm-hmm. the hats and the apparel, mm-hmm. and uh, that was our business at the time. Ninety Ten brand was an yes. apparel branding agency, and we had everything from design through delivery and every step in between. And it was because the, there was a market need for that, and it was kind of like whoever had need number one also needed number two, three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. If someone had need number three, they also needed one and two, mm-hmm. but they had those done. They got to us at step three. And so we kind of ended up making this whole uh, system and process and business about design to delivery to suit all those needs because there became entanglements along the way with working with people who are creators or brand reputation managers or brands themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, when we had met you, we had, um, we had already become a little more locally known for bringing to the market Canelo Alvarez's brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was out of the need initially. Uh, and this is one of those stories where initially the need was, we need shirts for a fight. How can we get shirts <laughs> to Vegas in time for this fight on this date? And it was like super late in the game. We're like, whoa, okay. Um, but what most people don't know about that actually is the reason he was referred to me is because of a, a, a couple of friends of ours who referred us. Um, 
but they were like, well, who, whatever celebrity, what other celebrities have you done anything for? And I was like, well, only one. LaDainian Tomlinson's 5K. Okay. <laughs> They're like, oh, you've done the LT 5K. I'm like, yeah, it's thousands of shirts, but it's like the same shirt. It's It looks the same. It's Everyone's getting the same thing. It wasn't like an entire book of designs. Yeah. Uh, but because the contact here in San Diego is local to San Diego, knows San Diego sports, loves San Diego sports. Like, oh, you've done LT? Okay, you're going to help me with Canelo. I was like, are you talking about the box? Are you talking about the guy I see on like an ESPN and, and <laughs> highlight reels? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> So it kind of started that way. And then it became, we need to get a set of designs to Vegas in time for the fight. But then that quickly turned into, now we need to get to the market. How do we get to the market? We need to go to the fashion show in Vegas where they demonstrate all these new um, brands and all the buyers come from inter, you know internationally and nationally. Um, and so because of that and being able to deliver on that, that's like proof in the pudding for most people that go, where yeah. do I go? Who do I trust? And can they help me? Yeah. And when you have evidence of that documented and publicized, and then you see it on TV and in commercials and you walk into you know stores and you see his brand or mm-hmm. him wearing his stuff and he's doing it on social media and his image is rising in popularity at the same time. Um, you are drafting off a lot of that. Cause you're like, we did that. We brought those designs to the you table did. and we, they were pop. I mean, they still are, Yeah, but that was all you guys. And what's well, a team of people. It's yeah. always a team of people. Of course. It's never, it's, it's me telling the story, but behind me is so many people of that course. were great artists and designers and thinkers and strategists on how to get things to the market. I mean, it, it was, I know I have some photos of us like as a, as a team and I'm like, Oh, there's 12 people in this photo. And there's mm-hmm. eight in that. And there's 16 in this. And it's like, it's always a team. Yeah. Always. Well, that's but a legendary. We met you guys and, yes. and had your brand, the blessed brand, which yes. is cool. I still have a blessed hat at home, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I, I've kept a, a, a few things from that era of my yeah. life, and not many of them actually, because um, there's a, there's another side of that story where I was like, I need to um, move on from this chapter mm-hmm. of my life because everything there's a story, but everything fell apart and just unraveled super well, let's fast. Let's get into that. So yeah, let's talk about that. Because it was your yeah. health, correct? It was my health. Okay. Yeah, I actually fell ill in the um, in the fall of 2017. Became hospitalized. I was very critically ill. Um, I had an infection running through my body just from oh, a little no. scratch on my knee at really? at, at the office. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I I had a um, a strep infection, but running throughout my body, and then um, became sep- uh, had sepsis. So I was septic. And then um, at first they were telling the doctors were telling my wife, "Hey, we're gonna try to save your husband's life." Like, oh, I didn't even know that was the problem. So I didn't it went know it was from like that. a scratch to saving your life. Yeah, over the course of a couple of days, it's like, oh, okay, my knee itches, and I'm like, oh wow, now it's just swollen and it's really warm. And then I'm like, oh, I can't put weight on my leg. I better go to the hospital. And I go to the hospital. And they're like, oh, you're really sick. Wow. We're gonna you some antibiotics. Go home. You know, if it's, if nothing changes, come back. Well, 48 hours after that, I'm writhing in pain and my wife is like taking me in the hospital on a wheelchair into the ER and then they run blood and they do all these tests. They're like, your husband's super sick. We're admitting him like right now. Oh my gosh. And so they admit me, I end up in the hospital for 12 days, 12, I think 12 days. It was a total, just wow. shy of two weeks. And at the first thing they said is he's really sick. We're going to run all these battery of tests. We have to do MRI. We're doing blood work. We're doing all this. I had IVs up and down my arm and, um, and some of it I don't even remember. Um, and what ended up happening was they first told my wife, Hey, we're gonna try to save your husband's life. And that's when she kind of knew, Oh, this is super serious. And then if we can do that, then we got to try to save his left leg. Oh <laughs> like, like, gosh. like it was an option that I was not going to have like a left leg maybe. So just going to full on amputate. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we wow. need to, we need you to understand. We're going to try to save him. We need to save him first. His body's under massive attack. we got to save that first. Second, as long as we can do that, then we're going to have to try to save his leg. Cause my leg was compromised. A hundred percent of my leg was just, it, it just 
I'll spare you the details. It did wow. not look like a regular leg. <laughs> wow. And it was attacking my body. And so uh, oh they were gosh. able to get that under control. And then I ended up having like a very severe reaction to one of the medications trying to help me. And that made my entire body explode uh, in a reaction. And then they had to cure that in addition to the infection. Ugh. And my life was on the line for a little bit of time. And your wife was probably just stressed. She was super, well, she was super stressed, but also trying to keep it together because yeah, our daughters were, you know, at trying this time, normal, six years like, younger than they are now. Good and, yeah. But yeah, the, yeah daddy's going to be good. But at the same time coming to the hospital and seeing me hooked up to all this stuff Ugh. and then her like every single day, they're still in school. They're still yeah. doing, you know, their after school work. life for them. Um, but then it's like, instead of coming home and dad and mom and everyone's home, we're like, Oh, we're going to go see dad at the hospital. And so for two weeks of their life when they're young, it's, early onset. Oh, don't know what dad, how dad's going to be. Is he going to make it? And not that they were really, um, ever afraid that that was going to be the case, but it was like the reality the doctor told my wife yeah. and she's not going to like pretend like dad's not sick. He's just saying, stay at the hospital. No dad's sick. We're going to pray for him. We're going to believe he's going to be okay. But it was touch and go for a little bit. And it was a little scary. <laughs> it was a little scary. A little, and th- th- a that, that all ended up leading to uh, other fires were erupting at the company yeah. at the same time where I was not there to be able to do certain things. Of course. And there's a lesson in that. Part of the lesson is that um, you don't know when something like this could happen in your life. And then if it does, have you like game theory or war gamed through that to make yourself as adept and prepared to handle a situation like that if it were to occur? And I thought we had done that. We Mm. had not done that. So I learned in the process of this, oh, we're not as well prepared as I thought we were. Mm. And so now coming out of that, I had had to close the company two days after Christmas of 2017. I had to tell everybody we're out of cash January 1. That's it. I, I We don't have anything. They all knew I was sick. We're all super close friends as well um, and working together. And I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I had to tell them, I can't pay you. I can't even pay any of the bills here. Everything we had has now been sidelined. And I was um, committed to bed rest for a month and then rehabilitation wow. for three months. So wow. it wasn't like, oh, we're having a problem today. No. Hopefully the fever goes away tomorrow and you'll be good. No, no it was like my entire life changed. Yeah. And therefore the life of the business and did in the life of everyone that worked there change too. Wow. <laughs> it was a little crazy. Yeah. Very, very. Yep. And you spoke of faith. Yeah. So on that part where I know for me, when things have transpired and I mean, even current Priscilla, current my life right now with Jimmy, there's little fires that pop up yeah. and we're just, okay, God, <laughs> let's pray. Let's get out on our knees. So, what was that lesson and what was that um, time with God that he showed you? There, well, gosh, there's, there's, there's so many. I mean, there's immediate things that come to my mind. First and foremost is my wife, Jen. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, the Bible talks about having a helpmate. Mm-hmm. She was the ultimate helpmate and still is the ultimate helpmate in the way that even the, the, the text talks about what a helpmate's intention is and design and purpose. Um that's the first and biggest thing. Uh, not only the tangible things we look at, like, oh, is the house kept and are mm-hmm. the girls being fed and is everyone's homework getting done and running around errands? Like, like beyond that, like praying in belief that everything's going to work out, interceding on behalf of me, um, praying for guidance for the doctors to make the right decisions, to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so, so end to end, everything that could be prayed for, believed for, hoped for, boom, right there. She was doing all those things. Um, the, on the personal side for me, um, in my own walk, it was frustrating because I, I didn't realize till months later that I was actually going through these stages of grief mm. as if someone had died. But the something that died was the business, but it was, it was born out of an idea and a dream. And then it raised up through adolescence pretty quickly. It became reputable, well-known. 
well referred and then it died. Mm. And so I had not connected that I was experiencing the stages of grief of a normal death death to the death of the business and the idea and raising it up and watching it mature and being part of that. So it felt like I was actually having the loss of a child, even though mm. my actual children are way more important than <laughs> of that. Course. But my emotional state, my spiritual state was, Oh, I'm experiencing this death. And well, cause um, that's a baby. That's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Obviously right. nothing could compare to our children. Absolutely. And so I struggled with that. I, I, I honestly, and admittedly, I, I struggled with, why is this happening? Why was this allowed to happen? And was it that, uh, and in the end, again, this is all in retrospect now, like in the moment, I was frustrated and I was like angry, but at the same time, I was super relieved that I was alive. Like there was this weird dichotomy <laughs> of like, oh, I can't believe all this happened. Like, God, why? And then also, God, thank you so much for saving my life. And for all the people who of helped course. me stay, you know, I still have, a, I still have two legs. I'm bummed and out I, for this, but then I'm super <laughs> thankful that I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, it was super weird. Um, and it took a long time to just really re- just wrestle with all those things. And, um, really kind of feel at peace about it. That took the most time is being at peace about it all finishing out. Uh, that's what took the longest time to come to peace. It was just to, to come to a place where I felt peace about the outcome and the way it looked. Um, I think part of it was I was embarrassed, uh, even though I couldn't have changed anything that happened to me health wise. It's like, dude, I feel like I should have been able to keep this company going. Yeah. Or at least I, again, like I said earlier, I thought I had it set up so that even if there was a catastrophic event, it would still be good. It just wasn't. And I learned that because it happened and then I found out it wasn't. And that weighed in on my like, okay, now I got to work on this. I got to wrestle with this and go to God with this and pray about that. And that took time. Yeah. Did you always, um, I know with in my background, I was raised with parents who, when I was born, my parents were like newbies, Christians. So I was raised in church, even though they were like babies in the Lord, I was still raised in church. Was that your same experience or? Yeah. When I was young, we were, we had been going to a church pretty steadily uh, every single week. And then that church had a shift and change and my folks kind of stepped away from that church. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, in elementary school at the time. Uh, and then a pastor who was sent to San Diego transplant <laughs> from there Indiana oh. <laughs> was sent to San Diego to start a church in Chula Vista. Oh, and wow. my, my, uh, he, uh, his name was Bill Armstrong, Bill Armstrong and my dad ended up teaching pony baseball together or teaching coaching t- pony baseball together. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got introduced to the whole origin of Eastlake Church down in Eastlake Chula Vista back in like 91, 92. Oh, wow. So that was... uh, I always thought it was like 2000s. Well, that's when Mike Meeks took over. So Bill Armstrong was there at the beginning through the early early mid-90s before the official building was done. They bought the land, took over the Kaiser building, that whole thing. Um, Mike Meeks entered in the late 90s. And then Mike Meeks was the uh, lead pastor at Eastlake Church from the late 90s all the way until 2016, 16 or 17. One of those years is the year that transitioned into James Grogan, but, uh, but my mom and my dad had us there the whole time. And so that's where I learned, like I learned to play music there and play drums. And that was part of playing drums at school, but playing drums for worship at church and being very patiently taught because I knew nothing. And man, those adults <laughs> there that knew what they were doing were so patient with me, uh, but raised up in church. And at one point my dad was running the before and after school program. My sister worked at the preschool. My mom was a director for the private school there for 20 years, retired from there. Oh wow! So it was like a family an infusion of our life. Of course. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, <laughs> 
So yeah, it's all, the, the, I guess the quickest answer is yes, church has always been there. God has always been there, but my own personal walk, I haven't always um, taken my, my, the level of responsibility when I was younger that I knew I need to now be more mature, that I'm 100% responsible for how close or how far away God is, is how close I spend to him or don't. And then reconciling that with myself. And what age was that? Mine was when I had my daughter. When you had your daughter. <laughs> my 20s, my early 20s. Yeah. It, I think it's something that became, uh, I became aware of in my head more in my 20s as well. Okay. But but in my heart, it's, I, I almost have to answer it two different ways. Because like in my head, like, yeah, I know that. Mm-hmm. But in my heart, am I acting like it? Mm-hmm. Am I actually believing it? Am I am I studying or listening to the word or praying and, and talking and listening to God? Am I walking alongside God in relationship? That's more of a heart issue mm-hmm. than the head thing. And um, that has been like hot and cold for, for a long time. Uh, again, until more... More recently, again, post ninety ten brand and hospitalization, and all that's been much different. But there were there was a there was a season of of severe frustration and mm-hmm. sadness and depression and just feeling just not even knowing. Okay, what does God have for me? I thought that was it, and now it's not it. Oh man, what am I now? And what does He want from me? What is He asking for me? And I had to spend a lot of time listening and just. I walked, I logged hundreds of miles during that season of my life, just walking and trying to listen and hear. It kind of sound like so many stories in the Bible where they're just waiting and waiting, but we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. And I think that's just a short Testament, just in that little sentence that you just said of your experience of everybody and there's people right now who are in the hardest season of their life right they're being tested and they're like okay god okay god where are you Mm -hmm. and he's there and our mind logically we know he's there but like you said with our heart that's i think that's the heaviest of the deciding factor Mm -hmm. is is 100 are we in are we kind of yeah tiptoeing in and out we just don't know our mind, we know, mm-hmm. we know he's mm-hmm. there, but it's just, it's kind of like how they say with faith of, um, like you can, how does that saying go about believing in faith? Like you can't see the wind, but you can see right. like the leaves yeah. or whatever. The wind exists, even though you can't see it, you can see the effect it makes on exactly. the things around it. Yeah. And that's a lot like God, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, especially within our lives mm-hmm. or just seeing Anybody, yeah. we could see a friend, family member, mm-hmm. and we can see God moving in them. They mm-hmm. may not physically or be aware, conscious aware mm-hmm. of what's going on, but we can see it. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's something that I ponder a lot, and um, you know, and even now, like I, you know, I think I, I think around what stories in the Bible can I most relate to now. Because mm-hmm. every season in my life that I've asked that question and I've sought an answer or I've gone and studied or looked for a, an answer in the word, I find a story where <laughs> someone's going through the thing that I'm going through and it makes me, it reaffirms, oh man, the power of the word, power mm-hmm. of the truth of the word. Um, and mind you, sorry, preface earlier in my life, in my twenties, I was like, okay, I'm going to seek out actual evidence of this. Like what supports this text to begin with? Not because I was trying to question faith, but like, I want to understand what exists that I'm unaware of around me, archeologically, scientifically, Ooh, all that kind of stuff. I just saw an Instagram reel. Mm. A friend sent me, I'll share it with you. Okay. A little lengthy, but so good. They, this guy, this kid, he was at the Grand Canyon 
And have you seen that one where he talks about, um, he gave so much scientific mm-hmm. proof and evidence of how the dirt was a mile, say we're standing on a highest part of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't even know where he did his research, mm-hmm. but he said the dirt was a mile high at least from where they were standing. He just gave the whole wow. Grand Canyon before the flood. Oh, like everything. He gave just he gave all the archaeological stats, mm-hmm. facts, everything you could think of. And he said how everything at one moment it became the Grand Canyon. He goes mm, interesting. So he was asking people, tourists, what do you think that was that and it had to happen in an instant? What do you think that was that caused all of this? And people were like, well, dinosaurs, yeah. earthquake, right, right. you know, and some of it's kind of funny, some of their answers. Sure. And then um, one guy goes, water. And he goes, yes, water. Water can instantly. And then they talked about the scientific reasons of, of heavy amount of water just right. hitting something and that yeah. impact. Right. And I almost got emotional just visualizing, Mm -hmm. picturing. I mean, I, you can't, my mind can't comprehend (laughs) that amount, but just imagining the sand, you know, you make a sandcastle, Mm -hmm. the waves come and what does it do? Yeah. Tears it down. Drops the whole thing. Yep. So can you imagine a Grand Canyon and the amount of the volume of, yes, (laughs) yes. And then he went and then people were like, well, where did the water go? And blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, the earth is, what is it? Like 70%. Yeah, seventy five percent water. Yeah. yeah, he goes. Well, we still have a lot of water <laughs> yeah, left. Still here. Yeah, but then he went more scientific facts, and yeah. everyone in the video that he was speaking with were kind of in a maze where you can tell mentally they didn't want to rationalize because then they would have to realize the yeah, flood you'd, did you'd happen. To, you'd have to confront all these other things. Exactly. That maybe you don't want to confront or don't want to give. Then it opens up a to, lot of questions. Yeah. You're going into a rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah of, you know, you're just opening yeah. that, just yeah. peeking it. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyways, what you just said but, made me think of. Yeah, there, there was a, there was part earlier in my life where I was like, I was looking at like, you know, case for case, case for Christ, case for Christianity, case for faith. And I was like, okay, what's the evidence of that? And but then, oh, let me take the next step. What was he researching? Let me go research that thing that they researched and find out. And that really helped me really just feel uh, my, my confidence and understanding that, okay, this isn't just whipped together in a collection of stories that's conveniently called mm-hmm. the Holy Bible. Um and, and, but then being able to, so now going to stories in the Bible, back to like tracing a direct line from this experience I'm having in life, who is experiencing this at that point in life? And there's so many variety of stories that we either know just at the surface level, mm-hmm. um, because we can name it quickly, like mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a flood. All right. Great. Yeah. But then I've recently talking with a lot of people about the story of Joseph. Okay. Now, and the story, this is one where I'm like, I feel like I'm in this Joseph moment. Like his brothers left him for dead. My brothers did not. I don't have a brother. <laughs> Skip that part. Yeah. It's that I feel like isolated and alone mm. and left behind. And then I'm working this land. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And it's like the the, the fruit of that work has not shown up yet, right? Mm. 
in the story of Joseph, right? He's working the land. He's basically a slave. And then he gets taken into the king's house and he becomes trusted by the king. And the king trusts him because he can interpret dreams. And he tells the king that there's going to be, there's going to be a famine. But before the famine, there's a great harvest. Mm. And this great harvest and his wisdom and Joseph's maturity in that, not only being trusted, but also his maturity to see and interpret the dream and the vision is that harvest created plentiful for those who were without and I think in some ways we're in a moment, maybe economically here in the West, where there's going to be swaths of people who maybe are spiritually without mm-hmm. or physically absolutely without. And what happened in the story of Joseph? People came with their bags to come and get grain mm-hmm. and get their distribution of grain because they had lived in a, a land of famine, but where Joseph was, they had plenty. Mm-hmm. And so where are we in life where we may have plenty and someone might be coming to us with their 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 empty sack looking for grain Mm -hmm. and we can give them some from our overflow. And I think about that a lot because we talk about like the whole Joseph and Joseph story, but we don't talk a lot about the people that are coming to him. Mm -hmm. Where are they coming from? What's leading them there? What's drawing them there? How many are there coming? And we don't talk about that end of the story, but also you can like economically and tangibly look at some of the things that are happening and go, okay, we might be in a season where it might be called upon us as Joseph's to be providers and provision of the thing. Mm-hmm. Other quick thing, sorry about the Joseph yeah. story. I got curious the other day and I was like, how much of the, how much of the book of Genesis is dedicated to this story? It's 12 of the 15 chapters. Really? Yes. From wow. Genesis 38 through Genesis 50, it's either the Joseph story or reference to the Joseph story. And I'm like, okay, so almost a quarter percent of the entire book of Genesis is just dedicated to Joseph. And I don't think we talk about it as much no, as you would think. No. For how much That's it's new to disc- me. Right? I, I, I literally learned this maybe a month ago. It's like that emoji with the brain blowing yeah. up. Yeah. Because, like, you, you know, you talk about Genesis in the Bible, you're like, oh, on day one, day two, day three, day four. Like, of okay, course. so in that paragraph, everything was made. Wait a minute. And then we have. <laughs> 12 chapters dedicated to this one story. I'm like, okay, that's important. There must be something there. So I've been digging in that a lot. Huh? Yeah. A lot of fascinating things in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, (laughs) once you figure it out, (laughs) I'll learn. Well, and and there's, well, and then there's, there's like, there's, it's not episodic, but it's like, there's almost, seasons within that, like the season where he was, he was, uh, le- left and there's a season when he was alone and there's a season where he was lied about and false claims were made against him. And there's a season where he's in prison and there's or imprisoned. And there's a season where he's trusted. And it's like, man, that evolution, like you can draw straight lines to different parts of my life where those things happen too. So I, I find relatability us, in those stories. Us. Yeah. All of us, mm-hmm. all of us. I, I think 2020 kind of shifted, at least for Jimmy and I, mm-hmm. it shifted relationships, friendships, um, where, where it either drew us closer, like so much closer yeah. to friends and families, or it kind of distanced us from some friends and families, unfortunately. I mean, I mean, I always look at the optimistic side and positive side, and there was friends where we, we always had a good friendship with them. And then certain things just caused us to go like, you're my people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. the community that we need, you know, just start seeing the quality or the commonality or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Yeah. You know, I'm, I don't know if you experienced that. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah, we did in, in a variety of ways. Some of yeah. that was professional. Some of that was personal, but uh-huh. 
um, there was some like se- there was some separation across like ideological lines. I think at large, yeah, for people who believe and don't believe, yeah, um, and even in in when you go to like the next granular level of subset of each of those, then of there's course. even more separation and division in a lot of cases. Um, and you know, and I have found myself talking about that a lot with people because there is a presupposition that because I may disagree with you about something, that I don't want to be your friend anymore. Yes, and I didn't say that ever. And there's yep. many people I'd never said that to, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to have the conversation with. I'm not willing to argue with. Of course. I'll talk with you. I'm not going to argue, though. Like, I don't think that our relationship should be more important than the argument we're going to yes. have. So let's not have the argument. Yes. Not because we can't talk about it, but let's keep it to talking, not arguing. Let's and, keep the relationship. Yeah, but I think yeah. some decisions were made where people go, ah, the relationship isn't I worth having anymore. Hard in okay. their, I think some are very firm and hard in their, and, and their, their beliefs and views whatever those reasons are, um, I think it's just a hard enough line for them to where they don't want yeah. to. Mm-hmm. And that's, and then, you know, we just have to love them and res- Well, it's praying for your enemies, right? They're not my enemies, no. but they're standing up on opposition of maybe a, a critical thing that I believe in mm-hmm. or that they are very uh, emotionally emphatic about. Um, but, but we still have to pray for them. Our calling to pray for others and pray for enemies does not go away because of social issues. Of course. And I think that is uh, honest. I, I really think that's getting overlooked a lot. Now I'm, I'm saying that out of my head. I'm not always the best at that. I'll admit that to you right now. I'm not <laughs> always good at that. I'll Same. do it. I sometimes do it begrudgingly because I know I need to be vigilant in my like dedication and obedience to do it. And it's also, that sounds like, oh, you're checking the box. No, I'm not just checking the box. I'm trying to make progress in my maturity in my faith. And that's mm-hmm. one of the ways I can practice that is still praying for people who maybe I know are never going to talk to me again. Am I still going to do it? I have to. But that's not because I'm just trying to check the box. It's because no. that's our calling. We're supposed to. Exactly. And we have a prayer board in our kitchen. And it goes, of course, for like immediate family, my mom with her health. And then it goes, you know, it just goes like people, can you pray for so-and-so? So Mm -hmm. right up on the board. Um, But on the side of the board, I always have it written like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Mm, Yeah. And so sometimes I feel hormonal. (laughs) I feel like I'm pregnant just because of the immense amount of emotions that will just out of nowhere, I'll be driving down the street and... God will put somebody in my heart or my head. And it's just kind of analyzing like, when's the last time I talked to them? Mm-hmm. I need to talk to them. I need to send a text. I need to call yeah, them. That prompting. Yeah. And I always ask God, can you just keep me that way? Mm-hmm. Like just keep heavy on me where I don't want, I don't ever want to have a cold heart towards anybody. Yeah. And, but just keep pressing on that heart to nudge me of mm-hmm. pray for them, reach out to them. And it could be, we love each other, but we just, life just happens yeah. where, mm-hmm. you know, like just with, you know, family, just one yeah. day after the other work, mm-hmm. things pop up and month, two months go and <laughs> yeah. we haven't talked to them. Mm-hmm. So it's just an ever pressing nudge that I want from him just to do yeah. that. And, and for whatever, like San Diego, the homeless, yeah. My heart breaks. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we used to have a homeless outreach. Part, part, part of when we had 9010 brand, we were doing a homeless outreach and we had to stop that. Mm. Uh, we were asked to a couple of different times and we kept going for a little <laughs> bit. And they were like, no, no, you really need to stop doing this. Um, Fun fact, side note. Yeah. There is 
two days, Jimmy and I, random days, we had a bunch of blessed hats in the yeah. back. And one of them was during Logan. And we went all the way up here, actually, in downtown. And we were just giving away hats to homeless. Yeah. And they were just coming, taking them. Yeah. And then another time, we were in North Park. And we saw some kids. Hey, do you guys want some free hats? Oh, yeah. And then a youth pastor came out. Mm. And they were on their way to camp or something. And he was like, what's, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of questioning us. Like, what are you guys doing? These are our kids. Right. He's responsible for them. Yeah, like, yeah. no, no, no. We didn't even know you were a church. We just saw some kids. We <laughs> have some merch. We want to give it for free. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> and you guys are Christians. Yeah, yeah. So we just shared the story. And we're like, we have t-shirts, hats. Do you, we'll give them to you and mm -hmm. you can disperse them. He was like, that would, so. There you go. Yeah. So there a lot of hats that you guys created for <laughs> That's us. That's awesome. I like that. <laughs> I like that. But I, but I think your, your, your proximity statement of, you know, God break my heart for the things that break your heart. Like that's that thing I was talking about. Like our distance between God and our, the distance between God and us is always up to us. And like that is an alignment statement and that's an alignment attitude and behavior of I'm going to understand and feel the things you would feel for these same people. If I agree and I know that they are just as much yours as I am yours mm -hmm. and your heart aches for them, mm -hmm. then my heart aches for them too. Exactly. Yeah. It couldn't have said it any better. Exactly. So then let's get back into life. Sure. Um, so then high school, you go to USC. No, I, I went from uh, high school leaving Bonita and I went to Pepperdine up in Malibu. Pepperdine? Yeah, Pepperdine. Oh, wait, yeah. you didn't go to USC? No, I didn't. I, no. For some USC reason, said no. Ah, uh, so sorry. Do you have a USC story for me? I always or thought a USC question? that was my college that I wanted to go to. So for some reason, I always thought you went there and I was like, oh yeah. USC went. said no. UCLA said no. All the state schools said no. Pepperdine said yes. Dartmouth well, said go. yes. Hey, All these other schools said Pepperdine. yes. Pepperdine. <laughs> Pepperdine and Point Loma Nazarene, the only colleges with the most amazing views. They are, they're indescribable. You have Beautiful. to just, you have to see them. Even it's pictures like, don't do it justice. No, we went there to see, Jimmy and I wanted to see, um, oh my gosh, worship singer, plays a guitar by himself, acoustic with the band. Phil Wickham. Oh yeah. This was maybe 2018. Mm -hmm. Pepperdine. Yeah. It was our first time there. Yeah. And I was just, and then he had it right there on the grass field <laughs> on the, over the. Yeah, on the front lawn. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. And I Overlooking was just, the ocean. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was the most spectacular concert yeah. just because of the views. And then, of course, it's worship and all of yeah. that. It was such yeah. a treat, such a moment. Yeah. And like the further you go into campus and the higher you go, like the, the larger your, your perspective is, it's just amazing. And you <laughs> see so far and so like wide left to right. It's like I was telling you, it's, it's indescribable. You have to just see it. So anybody just drive in there. If you're around the area, yeah. just drive in there. Yeah. Go to the campus, take a look. go to the top, <laughs> go to the top of the <laughs> campus at the business school up there at the very top of the hill. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. So you got your bachelor's in business there? No, I got it in psychology actually. Oh. Yeah. Be careful what you say next. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I got my degree in psychology. I thought actually that I was going to be able to like translate into that to being like a professional help and aid to people and to guide somehow. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to do like counseling, counseling, but some sort of like interpersonal human behavior, helping people thing. Now it turns out that in business, you end up doing that a lot of the time, but just not in the clinical fashion. You're not like really using clinical 
clinical words or whatever, but that understanding of human behavior and that, uh, that fascination with human behavior and being able to translate and communicate certain things based off that, that platform has provided tremendous value. I think psychology is one of the best degrees to get because you can use it in any field. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I think I probably use, I don't use enough of it. (laughs) <laughs> for what I learned and like was taught because yeah. it, it, again, it's not in the clinical setting, mm-hmm. um, but on the human behavior side and interacting with people. Absolutely. So then you graduate college mm-hmm. and then and I worked there. Oh, you worked there. <laughs> yeah. I graduated college and then I worked there for a couple of years. Um, Graduated in 01 and I got a, a job at the alumni department doing alumni events and activities. So I was responsible for a certain um, engaging activities around not only the LA area, but then in other parts of the country where the alumni chapters would meet, gather, and they'd have, you know, dinner orders before the basketball teams in town okay. in Denver or Florida yeah. or wherever. Uh, so I'd uh, have to travel a little bit for that. Um, and then one of our annual events, uh, that we used to have down in Newport beach landed me a job in Newport beach. And that's how I left Pepperdine is I was at the Loma department and I was every year planning our December Christmas lights parade boat parade in Newport beach. They have a really good boat parade. It's amazing. It is so amazing. If I were to ever move out of San Diego, it would be to Newport beach. It's so nice. And, uh, so I go from like one office location say, on the front the waterfront coastal, to yeah. Newport beach, like literally <laughs> closer to the water, but in the bay, uh, and then, um, so the company that was our charter company that we'd always host our alumni event on was looking for event, an event planner and a salesperson. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's me. So, um, Jen and I moved to long beach. Oh wait. So you guys are married. We were already married. Yeah. We what? got married in 2001. Oh, I was thinking college. Then marriage. Jen and I got married in 2001. She wow. was working at Paramount Studios. Oh, so wow. I was driving to Malibu. She was driving to Hollywood every so you guys, day. Did you guys go to college together? Or how did no, you guys... Jen and I know each other from down here in, in oh, San Diego. So we were in high school together. Oh, Jen wow. was a year ahead of me. So Jen's a singer and I was playing drums for the the music group that we went to called, uh-huh. uh, called Music Machine. Oh, and Bonita. Bonita. Music Machine. Music Machine, yeah. You went to Bonita too? Yeah. What? Yeah. What year did you graduate? 97. Yeah. 98. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so we went to school together. Yes. So you're in my yearbooks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Jen's, so Jen, How so Jen's funny. maiden name I is never Arana. I knew we went to school together. Yeah. If you know Stephanie Arana, that's Jen's sister or you knew, uh, you knew Allison Cruz. That's my sister. She graduated in 99. I want to say yes. Um, yeah. Anyone who's in music programs is going to know each other. Jen and know me. So yeah. that's, that's the origin of me and Jen was knowing each other in high school and okay. then being married in 2001. Dang. Music machine was huge back then. It was. It was. It was the thing. It was a real honor to be in that. I mean, you you had to perform your butt off. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember every Bonita Fest. You guys were there mm-hmm. at the Lolita's little area, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There's always like the main main <sighs> stage right there, and you had to perform at Bonita Fest every year. And then, depending on the year, you did anywhere between eighty and hundred performances, including uh, competitions. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were legit pep rallies. Everything, everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like you. It, it, it's kind of like the the they go together. It's like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So there was this expectation because Music Machine had been raised up to this like thing, and then at the same time, it was also two hours of every school day. So zero period mm-hmm. and first period were all music for two hours every day. Wow. And then you have rehearsal after school for sometimes if you have to do shows, whatever. Yeah. And then you're doing shows sometimes during class time, sometimes after school, sometimes on the weekend, and then traveling to LA to do competitions. Your literal music is like a part of your life at that point. Mm-hmm. 
And so then because of that, you are expected to show up and be good. That's so nice. it's like it became good. And then it kind of like became this like, like self-fulfilling. Oh, it just this rotation of like excellence. It was because, like DNA, the yeah, DNA of that. It would draw in excellence and then draw out excellence yes. from people who have potential. Um, but then also you're putting in an equivalent amount of time to mm-hmm. maintain that excellence on the duration or like for a consistent time. Wow. Yeah. That's news to me. Yeah. That's yeah, exciting. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's how I learned like how to be in front of like large groups of people is yeah. I'm playing drums that 40 people are relying on me to do it right, to sing the song or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And my bandmates. And then sometimes you're in front of a hundred people and sometimes you're in front of like a thousand. Wow. And so, and this is it. I'm yeah. 16, 17, 18 years old this yeah. time. That's rare nowadays that you're uh-huh. 16, 17, you're in front of thousands of people uh, at one time, let alone numerous times in your mm-hmm. high school career. Uh, and that helped me become more comfortable with being in front and being seen mm-hmm. and then eventually being responsible for being on camera and managing things and brands and all kinds of well, stuff. I was gonna say, so then, so then Pepperdine and you go to Newport. Yeah. To do go to Newport. I'm sales. planning weddings and birthday parties Which on boats. Which kind of makes sense <laughs> considering your high school thing, because in high school that all goes hand in hand. I yeah. mean, you're, you're doing, you're a musician but you're doing a lot of events and stuff yeah, like and that. Yeah, and it's about so. coordination. It comes yeah. down to like optimizing coordination, being structured, having like uh, flexibility when things mm-hmm. don't go right. Because you have to do that in music and performance anyway. Something may not go right. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like you got to know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same ways with events. Like, okay, let's say you're on, oh, this is just a story. Let's say you are in the Newport Beach and you're having a wedding and then the boat's motor breaks. Oh, no. What do you do now? Oh, well, you got to get a reserve boat to come over and get everyone off that. Oh, but... Also, it's a Saturday afternoon wedding, and there's supposed to be another wedding on that same boat that night, oh, no. but the motor's broke and the boat's stuck. So you have to be like on your toes. See, it's yeah. super stressful in the moment, oh, but I like you got to know what to do. You got to make course. plans and contingencies, and yeah. it's, it was stressful, but those wow. kinds of things would happen. Wow. Okay. So then Newport, and then you ended up coming back to San Diego. San Diego. Okay. Yeah. You made your way back. Yeah. I came back to San Diego in uh, 2005. And then do you have um, children by that time? Yeah. Our first okay. daughter was born in May of 2005. Oh, okay. So we had come back. Um, the So interestingly enough, the boat company in Newport sold to Hornblower, which if you're in San Diego listening to this show, yes. Hornblower is huge, huge in San Diego. But now they're huge up and down all of California. No uh, across. Oh, yeah. They have... They've, wow. they've been buying other yacht companies and buying other vessels since early 2000s. Wow. Uh, so anyways, the company I was with got bought by Hornblower during that buyout. I was not going to make any advancement there. Like, okay, well, let's go back to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I ended up reaching out to my cousins who at the time were doing appraisals. They're doing like 40 appraisals a week. Wow. 40 appraisals a week so back in 2000, 2004 and five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I came to San Diego. I'm like, what do you have going on here? You guys are obviously doing business. I want to learn something. And they're like, oh, we're talking about doing a mortgage company and we might do, start doing finance. I'm like, cool, I'll learn it. Like, I didn't even like think twice. I was like, I'm in. See, that's why I thought you had a business degree or something along that (laughs) line because of that part. No, I've just always figured out how to do stuff. Got it. And I always figure out what do I need to learn in in order to do the thing I'm supposed to do to help people or help them. Got it reach your goal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, from start to finish, like back earlier in the talk, we're mm-hmm. talking about from design to delivery at 9010. How can I do that in every aspect? And that's kind of been a common denominator, even when it yeah. came to finance. How do I learn how to do finance to help people from where they're at, where they got to go and, and make sure every step along the way gets done. It's the same thing with event planning. Okay. Yeah, what do we have to do by that. this date? What do we got to plan now to make it work? And so the, all the dominoes fall so that on your wedding day, the flowers are there. The DJ plays the right mm-hmm. song. We cut this, the, the cake at the right time. You do your toasted. I mean, it's all the same set of actions, uh-huh. but in different industries. Yep. Yep. I can see that. So then you go into appraisals. They had an appraisal business at okay. the time and they were looking to do finance. I said, I'll help you start that 
And so I started helping get the mortgage company started in 2005. That was the origin of what's now called Mortgage Heroes was uh, originally 2005. It was just uh, just us mm-hmm. and a couple of other friends that were in the finance and real estate craze of 2005 and six and seven or before that whole thing hit a wall yeah. or the bottom fell out. Pick your... <laughs> pick, Whatever you want. Pick your description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but that brought us a lot of early success. Very young, yes. making a lot of money, yep. making too many decisions too quickly that mm-hmm. over leveraged everybody. And uh, despite having lost the majority of those things, still staying through the collapse of 0809 and learning from that in retrospect, oh, this is how these things interplay. We were too young and too naive and too early into the industry to understand all the inner workings of the functional, like macro parts of mortgage and finance and mm-hmm. how that looked and worked. Um, and admittedly did not know at the time how many of the things that were in the market would not last the duration of the market. Cause mm-hmm. we didn't know. Yeah. And we learned all those things along the way. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, that, no, that's not going to work. But it was our eyes being open along the way where we learned those things. Yeah. I think a lot of people learned, oh, yeah. learned that stayed, mm-hmm. that stayed in the industry. Mm-hmm learned. Yeah. And that staying power matters. Like it's mm-hmm. surprisingly people don't say it that they don't overtly say it, but staying power, power matters. Even now when the market's tight and it's different then when you tell someone you've been in mortgage since 2005 or your company's been around since 2005 mm-hmm. and it's your same family, you've been around nearly 20 years together almost. And you stayed through the collapse. You downsized, gave up things we couldn't afford to keep, kept the things we could. You made it through that. You're going to make it through that. Anything. That's just the way it is. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Just got to stick it out. And ride the wave. Yeah, the market's always going to change. It's, it's. I think it's part of it is adaptability to the market, exactly, to stay relevant and not in like a public, uh, um, not like a public opinion popularity contest. But like, can you still help people when it's hard, or mm-hmm. can you only help people when it's good and everyone's handing keys over? Mm-hmm. And that's not a, a, a confronting. Any, I hope it's no. not confronting any listeners. But for some people, it is. They only talk about what they do or share what they do when they're winning. But there's a lot that happens that people don't see that validates that you're the right professional. Yes. To help them along the journey because you can do the hard work. If if part of closing the loan or closing the real estate deals, I got to pick up a shovel and dig a ditch because the underwriter said we need a ditch dug. Will I pick up that shovel or not? Yeah. It, some of that is just the attitude people bring into the business. Some don't into the want business. to and some don't sure. think they need to. So and much of the work isn't sexy. Like, it's not cool. Hand me, hand me the shovel. Go do it myself. So much of this stuff is not cool. It's not sexy. It's not popular. It's not mainstream. So but no other field is Every field, at least in my opinion, whatever you're in, if you really want it and you have that drive, yeah. you're going to do what it takes. True. But doesn't F1 racing seem pretty sexy and cool? Yes. Those cars, like, I mean, that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> this isn't this show, but man, F1, I'm like, I would love to drive cars that fast. I'd love to I mean, travel the world to see all these cool places. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be a little bit more stressful for me. Yeah. That'd be like, you're putting me in this car. There might be some industries go. that are cooler than others. I, so, funny, so funny story, a friend of mine who's a real estate developer, uh, an investor, um, he actually used to work as a aeronautical engineer, straight out of Pepperdine, got hired into uh, oh. aeronautical engineering, designs airplanes and all this stuff that like 10, 15, 20 years later end up coming out. And he goes, oh yeah, I was on the draft for that plane wow. in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. I'm like, wow. oh, it's a super secret spy plane now. He goes, yeah, 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 we had to do that. I'm like, I always thought his job seemed so cool. He goes, it's really not cool, Andy. It's super nerdy. Everyone <laughs> I sit around, we all got like short sleeve, you know, button up shirts with pocket protectors, pencils, calculators. And, but like, their product is the overall yeah, product is very cool. Ex- exactly. I'm like, what you do seems super the cool. Overall product, and he's like, like, you did that. He's like, no, it's, it's a lot of nerd work. I'm like, yeah, okay. But that nerd work is cool. 
So it's that it's that difference of uh, of you know doing doing the hard work because it's required, doing the hard work because it matters and it's important. Uh, but also, a lot of times things look way cooler from the outside than they are on the inside. Yeah. And I think the importance of congruence uh, right now is is critical for people that are in mortgage, real estate, looking to be a real estate investor, looking to be a, a, a in, in in either on the take this conversation down the sales side if you want to be in the industry as your business, or if you are listening to this and you're like, I want to be an investor or I want to be a homeowner, um, you have to do the hard work. So what would you say as an encouragement to newbies or just someone having who's seasoned, but they're, cause it's a lot of, it's a mental, I feel like you have to, for me, as an example, I have to do a good workout in the morning, something that gets my blood pumping and then it's like a lot of talking to God mm-hmm. and talking to myself, just pumping, being your own. Um, I don't even know what they call it. You know, like somebody that just amps you up. I know where you're going. Yeah. I, I already know the answer. What? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is, is doing things that will foster and promote your productivity. Yes. Like if, if you don't know what those things are, that's step number one. Sometimes for some people, it's just taking a cold shower in the morning and doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing push-up setups or some squats. Okay, cool. Whatever will foster your productivity, be honest about those things and then work those things into your game plan for your day or your week or your month or your quarter or whatever. Now, there are seasons where you have to make, um, uh, you have to adapt or change mm-hmm. some things. That's fine. But if there's a common denominator of things that get you ready and posture you in the best position position to affect impact, not in your own world, but in the world of the people you're serving, your reward is on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Like escrow checks only come because you already finished the job first. Mm-hmm. So what's required of you? What do you have to do for you to get yourself to help the person to close and get them their keys, sign the loan docs, mm-hmm. fund the loan, you know, pull the sign out of the front yard, right? Yeah. The paycheck comes after that and people just go hunting paychecks all day long. And it's like, no, no, no. The paycheck's at the end of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's like the last thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this allure again, this inside versus outside. It's a like, marathon. From the outside looking in, everyone goes, oh yeah, if you're in real estate, you're rich. Like, well, hold on. That's not true for everybody. That's true for a lot of people. It's not true for everybody. Mm-hmm. But those who are disciplined and consistent, consistency and discipline work really well together mm-hmm. in the long haul of real estate and mortgage and having a physical environment and emotional environment that fosters your productivity will always work. And being still new in real estate, I get asked, Oh, do you watch selling sunset? No, I don't. However, I just read an article last week and I think it was on selling sunset and it was talking about the castmates. They all have their license, their actual legitimate agents. And it was going down the list of each one of them. And how many homes they sold. Not how much, just how much they sold. I don't know their names, but one of them was like one home. Another one was two or three homes. And it was the same thing for all of them. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's misleading. Of course, TV is always misleading. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some that are kind of pretty accurate. National Geographic or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but the, in the this instance, estate. yeah, it, it's a show. It's for entertainment purposes. But it's but the topic and the subject is real estate, mm-hmm. sunset real estate, right? And it, the, you see the same thing with you know X Factor and America's Got Talent and you know uh, American Idol. It's like, oh, your job isn't always to find the right person or the best person. Your job's to 
produce a show. Mm-hmm. So the primary purpose is to produce a show. Mm-hmm. The way you get in people engaged is it by being niche specific, topic specific, or there's a saturation of enough people that will have an audience base to validate selling that airtime mm-hmm. to people who are going to advertise in the time blocks in between your show. And the some, show is the commercial, by the way. The yeah. commercials are the profit center. Yes. <laughs> and you said niche. There's so many niches. Yeah. I feel if you know yourself well, or maybe take a moment and write on a list of things you're interested or like if you're into horses, yeah. there's actually homes that are for horses. Yep. Bonita is zoned mm-hmm. for horses mm-hmm. and just finding kind of like finding your people as in friendships, mm-hmm. but finding mm-hmm. your community, your niche when it comes yeah. to homes, golf. Yeah. If you're a golfer, mm-hmm. go to the golf areas, yeah. sell a golf house or yeah. whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And then right now, speaking of horses, Delmar, the, the horse races are going on. Yep. It's like, just invest yourself into these mm-hmm. areas and mingle you have to put yourself out there yeah. and just find your niche and yep. push yourself in those niches. And and, and, the, and think of your growth as a professional. For those of you listening to this that are maybe newer to real estate or newer to mortgage is, you know, it's the accumulation of experience over time. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you. And even though I had another business that was a branding and apparel mm-hmm. agency, our family's company was still up and running literally around the corner. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. and I, I was, uh, yeah, I would still consult on certain things. So my, I still had a foot in that industry, even though I was running a completely second, a completely separate business at the same time. Uh, and also have a, just a general passion and interest in economics and the market and all that anyways. So then that just evolved over the time. But the important takeaway here is, is, is the accumulation and of compounding interest in your successes and your experiences and the trials you've helped other people overcome because there's not a single transaction that goes to escrow without something funky going on. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be the accumulation of those stories and those track records over time where by your second year, third, fifth, eighth, ninth, 10th, 15th year, you go, yeah, you know what? I've had a client who had that same problem or Mm -hmm. a similar problem. Here's Mm -hmm. how we were able to address it Mm -hmm. because you're trying to quarterback the conclusion of their greatest milestone probably in life, which is being a homeowner. Mm -hmm. And to them, it matters that you know what you're doing and that accumulation over time is really what sets apart when you start getting older, like I'm in my forties. Okay. When you start getting your forties and your fifties and your sixties, you've done something 10, 20, 30 years. When times get tough, who do people come seeking out? The people who've been there for a long time, who've seen a lot of things and they can rely on their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely seasoned is good. Yes. A seasoned person is always good to go to for anything in life. Um, so then You've been doing mortgage for 20 years? Yeah. Over so, the, 20 years? The, yeah, the mortgage company has been open since 2005. Okay. Uh, I was licensed as a loan originator all the way till from 2005 all the way till 2014. 2014 is when uh, my cousins lost their middle son. Um, he passed away, and oh, I yeah. stepped back and, and I said, okay, is this, am I using this industry to promote my life or is it preventing things? Mm-hmm. And I had made some decisions that were actually not helping me live the life I wanted and not fulfill the dream that was put upon my heart. Um, to do massive giving. And that massive giving was when I started 9010 brand in 2014. Got it. And so I let my license lapse. I was still consulting for them on some things. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2014, I had started uh, 9010 brand privately and then it became like a formal company in 2015 uh, and then ran that from 15, 16, 17, and eventually had to close it in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't 
carry my originator's license now because I'm the business development person. I'm thinking about the trajectory of the business and helping the business form and shape itself so my my cousins can eventually retire. But we are already training the next generation of That's salespeople. Awesome. Um, and then what we did is we now run uh, the mortgage company and Cruise Productions, which is our production company, now in parallel. So I, I, I like Moonlight as this production company person Mm -hmm. who um, manages podcast shows and I run commercials and we orchestrate (laughs) like tutorials and do a lot of social content and that kind of thing uh, so that my daughters have a legacy because they're not going to go to the finance side. So I'm like, okay, I could raise this company up so my daughters can find themselves and their own creative exploration and business exploration Mm -hmm. inside a company that they own. So right now I own it because, you know, they're all minors, but when they're not minors and they're adults, they're going to get written in. They're going to have shares and they're going to own this company alongside me and Jen and Mortgage Heroes is going to be owned by my cousins. And I still help both of those companies. That's a blessing. Yeah. It's awesome. That's a blessing. Just being able to hand over and know your daughter's. Yeah. Are going to have something. Yeah. I mean, it was a conscious choice. I could go and just get a job somewhere, but I don't want to do that. I want them to have something that is going to, that can exist beyond me. What they do with it, they can do with it. Yeah. They can sell if they want, if they want to, if they want to keep it and work it and make it look different, they can do that too. I want them to be able to have a seat at the table that's been set before them. Of course. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So then that's it though. Yes and no. There's more, (laughs) there's more on deck. I'm sure. Yeah, there's more um, on deck. I'm looking in East County. I'm trying to find a place that we can go and establish a ranch and help people do restoration and recovery and get their feet back underneath themselves and oh, wow. uh, run shows and a studio, out, a, a recording studio out of there. You know, my wife writes music and does jingles and voiceover. Right. So we already have a studio at the house for that, but um, we're looking at it for like another place where we can actually do like some more compound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're talking like acres upon acres of things where there's wow. actually um, sectioned off areas where, you know, we have, you know, uh, sections for t- t- troubled teens that can uh, have a- a advisory council and a place where they can actually confront the things in their life they need to, but then be raised up with some responsibility and some discipline and um, be able to carry out something that's meaningful and purposeful in their life. Um, we have uh, a plan for there to be a, uh, a, a celebrity getaway where they can also do the same and come back to reality after being saturated with so much of what the industry just shoves in front Which of you. Which is heavily needed right now. Yeah. And it, and it needs to be outside of LA. That's the other, that's the other caveat 100%. is there's a lot of things that are in LA, but it's easy to just get out of and then go right back to whatever you're doing some of that's personal decision some of that's proximity so if we can do that here and the proximity is distant enough then there's effort to try to get away and do something else and get out of it but we also have this we know there's this calling and this vision in our heart to do that for people who where they've been risen to a place of prominence but outside of god's authority how Mm -hmm. can we help them use their prominence under God's authority and God's guidance to do even greater exploits than the things they did in the world Mm -hmm. and i think that sometimes in the industry the world can give you so much. You just think there is nothing else. Mm -hmm. There is nothing better. There is nothing greater without even touching or tapping into what God has planned for you with the same skill set that's bringing you this current success. And when people realize that they go, wait, what? Like it's first of all, you go, Whoa, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) But then how, how do we help them fulfill that? Yeah. How do we help you draw in proximity, get closer to God and then really use what he's given you as a specific blessing and skill set and giftedness to go do the kingdom. I, I love that. Yeah. And I can't wait to see once you guys have that property. <laughs> so I can see the whole compound, oh, yeah. the whole cruise world. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm yeah. so excited for you guys. Yeah. So in closing, let's do some 
rapid questions. Some little fun ones. Okay, zoo or theme park? Zoo. Why? Zoo every time. Zoo every time? Uh, the, the zoo is really neat because every time I go back there, I see something different. Even though the majority of times it's the same things, I see something different. Uh, we went just a couple weeks ago. And the nighttime zoo has recently opened and at night, a lot of the animals come out. So we went at dusk and we went like, we literally walked in like at maybe four 30, the zoo normally closes at five, but it's got the evening hours now. Mm -hmm. So we're walking when they're getting fed and they're coming out from being hibernating oh, all so day cool. or being underground or in their little area where they sleep. And all of the animals were out the other day. And I'm like, Oh, I've never seen, I'm 44 years old. I've been to the zoo hundreds <laughs> of times. I'm like, I've never even seen this animal before. Wow. I see it okay, on the sign. So we need to go. Yeah. So zoo every time. Okay. Yeah. I can agree with that. I don't need the adrenaline, stressful rides. Um, sea diving or skydiving? Huh. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say skydiving because I've actually wanted to do that more than I've wanted to do sea diving. Okay. I'm interested in sea diving because I think it's an entire world they don't see with my eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, skydiving, I'm like, oh, I've seen all this from my eyes just from a different elevation. Yeah. <laughs> <Different> altitude. <laughs> But I would get much, a much greater rush from that. Like yeah. I mentioned, F1 racing earlier. You'll be like, thankful yeah, for our life when something you Something about it. speed. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was racing to get here just because I was like, there's open road I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> Sunrise or sunsets? Oh, that's tough. I know, right? Um, I really like sunsets. I like sunsets because... It's the part of the day, if I'm intentional about it, I can sit in my backyard when the sun's going down and I can reflect on my day. Mm. What did I learn today? What am I grateful for today? Uh, but, I, but I'm going to, disclaimer, asterisk, I have to be intentional about that because mm -hmm. so very easily when I'm spread too thin, doing too many things or trying to focus on making a lot of things happen and work all at the same time, um, I can very easily forget to take that moment and do that um, or be weighed down by what's waiting for me tomorrow. But what's the word say? Tomorrow's got troubles of its own. Yeah. But sometimes I'm trying to solve tomorrow's problems today. Of that's course. A, that's a, Aren't that's, we all? That's a little growth, <laughs> growth thing for Andy. Um <laughs> But yeah, sunset because of that reason. It's a great time for reflection. Be uh, Close out the day or transition into the evening where rest is actually going to help me recover for the next day, be at, my, at the ready for the next thing coming, um, and being grateful for what happened in the day. I love that. And a rainy Saturday or sunny Monday? Oh, rainy Saturday all day. Same. Rainy Saturday, books, uh, the books, cooking at home or, or ordering out, staying in our pajamas. We yes. watch movies. Sometimes yes. we even, if it's raining on Saturday, I'll open the drapes so I can let the dogs out. And then I, the dogs back in, close drapes again. <laughs> just watching movies all day, guys. And the girls love it too. We kind of just got into that habit. And now it's something we it's just all enjoy. It's just a cozy day I'm at family. Yeah. I'm all about that life. Yep. Um, win the lottery or dream job? Dream job. What would that be? Yeah. Your land <laughs> um, <laughs> or no F1, F1 racing. No, no, I, I don't think I would actually want to do F1 racing as a job because to me that would feel like a job. I think it would be exhilarating, but I think it would still feel like work. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, the, the, the dream job, I wouldn't even call it a job. It's, it's, it's really helping people bring out the best in them mm -hmm. and help them see that what they have to bring is way more than what they're tapping into. Mm. And that's not even like, the, because the lottery versus dream job question is, seems like it's about money. Of course. But I don't really get satisfaction from that. Mm -hmm. Money helps as a tool to do lots of cool things uh -huh. and it helps reduce stress when lots of bills are due. And it has excess so we can go do some fun things. But beyond that, what I really want to measure my purpose is, is how am I helping other people? Mm -hmm. So I would say dream job because that gets me to do that. Yeah, Purposeful I can help people. Purposeful living, intentional. 
maybe conditionally with yes. lottery winnings. I could like help people do this, of help course. people do that. But what I would do is use all that money as a tool to go do what I just said to you now. Same. So I could say, oh yeah, lottery, because then I could just automatically Apply go start doing that. that. Yeah. So either, yeah. is either an option? Do I get to say either? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. so Whatever either lottery or dream job, because they'll both go to the same. It'll align in the same direction. <laughs> they go to the same outcome. <laughs> okay, last two questions. What would you tell your younger self? It could be like teenage, young adult, college life. What would you tell your younger self? Mm, that is a very, very tough question because I feel like there's a lot of things I would tell myself, but mm-hmm. if I were to pick one, uh, I would say get in the word sooner and stay longer. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Get in the word sooner and stay longer. And what would, what do you want to tell your older self? So 20, 30 years from now. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Amen. Yes. It's also what I want to hear. Yes. Same, 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 same. Okay, Andy. Well, how can people follow you? Uh, you can primarily follow me on Instagram or YouTube. On Instagram, I am at the Andy Cruz, and on YouTube, it's Hey Andy. <laughs> it's also Love at, that. At, yeah, it's also my name, Andy Cruz. But here's a funny, quick story: is there's an Andy Cruz who is like a when he's not uh, an active police officer, he's like an off-duty salsa da- dance teacher, ah. and also there's some guy named Andy Cruz who's I think a Cuban boxer. So I'm not any of those guys. <laughs> I'm the nerd guy talking about mortgages and the economy and, you know, car shows and horse stuff. <laughs> I'm bald. Look for not me there. The other ones, yeah, I'm not the other guy. I'm not way. doing sausage lessons. I'm not a cop and uh, I don't, I'm not a boxer. <laughs> so yeah, Andy Cruz on YouTube or Hey Andy. That's how everyone's question starts. So hey now to let everybody know, now that we've introduced you every Friday, we're going to have a 15 minute market mm-hmm. update. Yes. Yep. So you want to go into that yeah. right now? Yeah. So um, every week I run a show called Monday Mortgage Mint. I talk about kind of macroeconomics. What's that mean for the mortgage industry? What's going on at large in the economy? Um, and there's always a level of hyper-localization to that information because not everything nationally that's happening is happening in San Diego and not everything that's happening mm-hmm. in San Diego is happening nationally. Um, there are several things that set San Diego apart, as most of us know. Uh, number one, we have the board to our south and we have the ocean to our west. And we're limited on the east side with mountain ranges and uh, certain protected land. And on the north, we end up running into Camp Pendleton and more government (laughs) land and things like that. (laughs) So so some of the things that uh, I talk about are are very hyper-local, but also I talk about the macro things with people so they understand the general sense of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Why mechanically and technically are some of these things occurring? Um, So for uh, for this first chat today, I really want to talk about the Federal Reserve's uh, recent decision to pause their rate hikes. So on Wednesday, June 14th, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve concluded their two-day meeting. He came to the podium with prepared statements like he always does, and then he takes questions and answers after that. So in the so bottom line up front, for those of you who want it, the bottom line up front, uh, it is that mortgage rates are probably set to go higher, but maybe take a little ways to get there with okay. some adjustments along the way. There's going to be days where mortgage rates go low and days they go high. I would not expect large moves very quickly. Large okay. moves very quickly means a half a percent in the day, up or down, three quarters up or day. I'm talking like maybe an eighth to a quarter day in, day out over the course of time. And the reason has really, it's twofold. It's general uncertainty about the economy Mm -hmm. that the Fed is admitting with some of the decisions. And we'll go into that later. Uh, But then the other part is how much money is there in the market? The Fed back in 2020, 21 was shoveling tens of billions of dollars a month into buying mortgage backed securities. Mm -hmm. 
By creating so much money and available its supply, the demand came to match it. So that demand had to come at a lower price, which is why you saw two and a quarter VA mortgage rates, mm-hmm. two and a half conventional, three conventional. Mm-hmm. Like that is nuts. I've never historical. seen that. Yeah, literal historical low, low. Yes. Not historical low in the last 12 years, no. 18 months, historical low ever. <laughs> Ever in all of recorded mortgage history, lowest ever. And they were just shoveling cash to try to keep things going. Now, as a result, what you saw, what you see real estate prices do real estate prices in 2020 and 21 and 22, what they do, they went up, tick, 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 tick. They went up. Mm -hmm. The cost of borrowing the money was super low. Cost of borrowing the money was super low because the fed was dumping tens of billions of dollars every month Mm -hmm. in the mortgage backed securities, but they've stopped that. Not only did they stop that, so they stopped putting money in that bag. Then they also started ratcheting up their their the federal the 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 the, um, the, the federal reserve's interest rate. Mm. So their rate um, influences things like car loans, lines of credit, credit cards. Those are all becoming more expensive because they're attached to that rate. Mortgage rates are not connected to the federal funds rate. Most people don't. Most people think they are. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, Fed funds, they drop their rate. Mortgage rates are going to go down. Like, uh, yeah, they, <laughs> no. they, they do go in parallel in a lot of times historically. I'm yeah. not going to argue that point. That's, that's not worth it. That's not worth the time. But um, it does affect things like, you know, short-term credit or mm-hmm. personal lines of credit. So mm-hmm. credit cards, car loans, uh, lines of credit, that kind of thing. Um, so what's happening right now is the Fed's fighting inflation majorly. And I said it today on my show that comes out on the next show, they're losing. They're getting their butt handed to them because mm-hmm. inflation isn't slowing fast enough. They've been doing rate increases since March of 2022. Mm-hmm. By this point, we are now, what, 13 months? Four, I'm sorry. We're 14, 15 months mm-hmm. past that. So if we are 15 months past that, and this week they decide, oh, we're going to pause, then that means it's taken 15 months for them to come to a place where maybe they've done enough. Mm-hmm. But wait, they admitted they haven't. They said they, they forecasted where the Federal Reserve members think their federal funds rate needs to be by the end of 2023. Mm-hmm. And they said it should have an average of 5.6, wow. which means that right now at five to five and a quarter, they think we need to be at five and a half to 5.75, which means we need to see a 50 basis point move up over the next four meetings. Wow. So they're say they're signaling hey, we think the market needs even more interest rates, even though we're pausing now. And a great question was asked from the press corps. They're like, so why don't you just rip the Band-Aid off and do it now? Just do it. Like, because we don't want to overdo it. We think that if we do that, it would shock the market too much because we're still waiting for the lag effect of last year's and this year's rates to show up in the data. Wow. So what they're doing is buying yeah. themselves time. They're just buying themselves time to for July and then their September meeting. So then they can decide, well, when do we make this 25% rate hike and the other 25% rate hike that we're forecasting we need by the end of 2023? Mortgage rates are going to be in lockstep with that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing so far that's that's showing up to the table saying that mortgage rates are going to go down precipitously in any period of time between now and 2023. Something catastrophic would have to happen, which I don't want to happen. No. But that's the only thing that would make them go down. So buyers out there, there's still buyers that are on the fence, hoping, hoping that they're going to drop. I think a lot of them have come to the realization that they're potentially not going to drop and they, whatever their circumstances are in needing a home that they're just going, finally making that decision of going forward or deciding to move out of state or whatever the, whatever is best for their, their family. What do you say for families, couples, single people who are on the fence? 
I think there's uh, there's two things you need to do predominantly. Number one, ha- f- forget about rates in 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. because they are not there. So don't go reaching for something that is not there. Mm-hmm. It does not exist for us. So let's not talk about that. Um, I say that at risk of, oh, he just want to talk about the higher rates. No, rates are high for everybody. It doesn't matter if you talk to me, you talk to the next guy. Everyone's got some version of the same rate, plus or minus an eighth, mm-hmm. or plus or minus a couple hundred bucks on buying down or whatever. Because um, we all get money from the same supply. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing is prepare. If you are a buyer, you're an aspiring buyer, you want to own a home in San Diego, and you want to buy a house in 2023 or 2024, start your process now. If you do not know if you are qualified and you are unsure of what it takes to get you qualified, time will be on your side with better preparation. Mm -hmm. So we always start by telling people to prepare. If that, because you may not know what your credit looks like, you may not know that the money you have saved up is enough. Most people think when I say that, they go, oh, well, it's so I can save more money or maybe try to get a raise or start a side hustle to make more income, pay down my debt. Sometimes it's go find out because what if you have enough? What if you overshot the expectation? And you're like, oh, well, I only have $90,000 saved. I should have 125. Uh, 90 is probably plenty right yes. now. There's plenty of programs that don't even need you to have that much money in <laughs> reserves or down payment. So sometimes, and, this is, and I'm saying this because it's happened. Again, back to my experience comment earlier, experience matters. We do hundreds or thousands of transactions. You see a couple things. And I've had time after time, people tell me that they don't think they're ready. And then we look at it and I go, what are you talking about you're not ready for? Your, your, your credit is there. Mm-hmm. Your income's there. You've been at your job a long time. There's no threat on the horizon that you've told me that you're going to lose your job. You have zero debt or low consumer debt, and you have a ton of money saved up. Oh, well, I just thought that I needed to X, Y, Z. And then they give me their... It's their own formula that they've created in their it, head. It, it's some milestone. They've, yeah. put it, they've, they've, they've put it like a, a, they've put like a stick in the, in the, in the, uh, on the trail up ahead. It's like, a marker of they a need marker, to meet yeah, that. What they had to be, yes. They're already there or yeah. they even surpassed it, but they don't know. Yeah. So the preparation is um, if you actually find out you are not prepared, cool. Now you can have a game plan to get exactly. to homeownership and you might be overprepared and you have set a, a marker down the trail a lot further than it needs to be. Just when Jimmy and I got married, we didn't want to buy initially just because we wanted to figure out where is the best place for us to move. So we made the agreement. We're going to lease this condo for one year, just one year. And in that time we spoke with a lender and we said, we have great credit, employment, all of that. But we asked them what, just give us homework that can better us, better us in all areas. Maybe we can just pay down a little bit of this car. Our debt's very minimal, but it's just the overall people don't know. It's just little increments that can make all the change yes. yep. in your FICO score or debt to income ratio, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of these factors, just any little tiny change will make a huge difference. Yeah. They, they, they all help. I mean, they, like bettering your financial circumstances will rarely hurt you. <laughs> one, yeah. one of the myths I, I commonly talk with people about is that they think, um, they're, oh, well, I'm going to pay my credit card off and then I'm going to close it. Whoop, oh, hold on. Do step one. Don't do step two. Yes. Pay your credit card off. Do not close it. You can pay it off and keep it open. If you close it, you've now chopped off all those positive months of mm-hmm. credit history. It could be three years, five mm-hmm. years, 10 years. And now all of a sudden you've taken that off the table in the mix of what generates your credit score. So paying it off, yeah, absolutely. Don't close it. And as a realtor, I have there's I've had clients that are newlyweds or just they've been married forever and they've just rented forever and they have no idea what to do. And I always refer you need to see a lender 
go to your, if you want to go through a credit union, whatever you feel, talk to both, fill out which side you want to, you feel more comfortable with what's going to be better, the better options for yourself. Yep. So a lot of the times I think an agent is your first person, which I'm flattered. Yeah. But we need to know, well, not me, but you need to know mm-hmm. your finances, where you're at. That way you can make your deci- decision on what type of home do you want? Mm-hmm. What, what area? Yep. Everyone's got to work together. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Commonly, most people like, oh, I need to talk to a realtor right away. And because that's because the realtor is my gateway to getting into a yeah. home. Uh, but usually it, it's the financing that is the financial gateway to getting the home mm-hmm. along with your realtor finding you the right home. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it's this team effort. It's a combined effort. And it's important that that clients know um, what it is they're dealing with already. What do I already have in my hands? And is that does this get us what we're looking to get? If it does not, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? And then going from there. So number one, forget about rates that are you know not available to you mm-hmm. right now. And number two, prepare. Exactly. Yep. And do you want to share your website? Anything? For- yeah. So, uh, so you can find Mortgage Heroes online at uh, mortgageheroes.com or you can find us on YouTube. We have two shows that go out every single week. Plus, we share shorts daily. Uh, the two shows are Monday, Monday, it comes out on Monday called Monday Mortgage Minute. And we have the Mortgage Heroes podcast that comes out every Wednesday where we talk about market trends, what's happening, what we see in the market, what's, what we should, what we should project and what we think is going to happen next. Uh, and then we share some fun stories and interesting things. Um, and I've learned a couple things, even about my own family that I didn't know just by having this show. So primarily find us uh, online, mortgageheroes.com and on YouTube, Mortgage Heroes. And you won't be disappointed. I love, I love the post. Yeah. They're thanks. humorous and educational. Yeah. I have a little attitude with Monday Mortgage Minute because, you know, they, you know, they say one thing and do another, or they say things that uh, there's a lot of double speak happening right now. <laughs> Analysts will say one thing and the Fed says that's not true. And it turns out to be true. And you're like, okay, well, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andy, I thank you so much for being here and just giving time out of your day, out of your week for just sharing with the audience your life and how you went into mortgage and sharing about the market update. That's going to be, I think, valuable moving forward. And hopefully everybody stays tuned on Friday and then they stay tuned with you on your own um, channels too. So thank thank you you very much. much. I feel very honored to be here. Thank you for letting me come to your show and, and, and touch talk so much about giving like this backstory and really just uh, closing in all those things and being able to bring value to people. I want people to win in mortgage and real estate. We in every, every show we want people to win with mortgage and real estate in 2023, 24, 25. So anything I can do to help make that happen for people I want to have happen. Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for listening and joining me. I hope you found something of value in this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss out. Until next time, I hope you have the most beautiful day. God bless.